0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, Thanks for being here this morning. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name's Jake, and I'm pastor, lead pastor here at Midtown Church. And so, uh, so good to have you here with us. Hope for a chance to meet you later on. If I, like I said, I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. But to be here all together, just a great Sunday. It's perfect Sunday to be here in the sense that we are starting a brand new series. And uh, it's like you, you're coming at, you got into, you got here in time for the beginning of the movie. Like it was the beginning of this series that we're going to kind of build upon each other for the next six weeks. And so, I'm uh, so glad that you're here for this. The series, we're calling it Life Changing and You'll see that in a second, I think. But, uh, life-changing, and it's got this, like, really theological statement, like, the, the, the radical reorienting nature of the gospel. That's kind of where we're going with this series. But, uh, life-changing, I don't know about y'all, but, like, when, when I was this week putting the series together, I was, uh, thinking about life-changing moments. And to me, like, the life-changing moments of my life are the ones that, you know, had this profound impact that trying to try and change perspective, change attitude, change action. And oftentimes have this sense of like changing identity, kind of how you see yourself. You become a father, you become a husband, become a wife, or you're a cancer survivor, or something like that. And it's like just forever, like it's this life-changing event that you've gone through, it changes the way you see yourself, changes how you act, changes all of that stuff. And I was thinking, man, what are some of the most life-changing moments of of my life? And the one that really comes to my mind more than anything else is when I uh, proposed to Krista, and I could say because that like that was kind of this like you know uh, lots of stuff came as a result of that. Like proposed, she says she eventually says yes. She says you're here in a second, and then uh, we get married, we have kids, and like all these other changes came as a result of this change. But like when I. Th- <laughs> this moment comes to my mind, too, because it really was like touch and go for a little bit. And it could have been a very life-changing moment if she had said no, right? And so, like, it was like one of these, like, probably, like, heart quit beating for a little bit moments. Like, the, here's the story. I'll just try to tell it briefly. But, like, I had—I had, I got to tell myself first— the, it's all my fault the, the way, the way that this story plays out. And the reason it was all my fault is because I, I, for some reason, and I'm an idiot, but for some reason, I thought that it was a good idea at times before the proposal to just fake propose. You know, like, like I thought that would be funny. And so we had been dating for a while and every once in a while when I thought the moment was good or something, I, I would just drop down to one knee and I'd, I'd say, Hey, Krista. And I'd look up at her and then I would say, I've got to tie my shoe or, Hey, just could you pause for a minute? Or, Krista, hey, did, did you see this flower? I just wanted to point this out to you. And like, it just was this, it's, don't do that, guys. It's dumb. But I thought it was funny, and, but it really backfired for me. And the way it really backfired for me is because when it came to when I actually proposed to Krista, it was... Uh, I had it all set up. I was working for this church at this time, big old auditorium, and, and I had the whole place reserved for myself. And I had had uh, uh, some friends help decorate the stage area. And we had a chair, and we had rose petals everywhere. We had champagne on ice, which I don't know if you can actually do in church, but we did, and don't tell anybody. And, uh, you know, we had this whole thing set up, and, like, I had these friends that were going to be able to, like, cue music. So after she said yes, then I was going to dance with her, and we were going to dance on stage, had the whole thing to ourselves. But there's also, this was kind of a cool deal, sort of, but um, it's also kind of weird, but there's like a cry room, if you've ever been, like church, big church, they have cry rooms, where there's like, in the back of the auditorium, there's like one-way glass, and you can see into the auditorium, but you can't see in there, and so like, moms are nursing, or whatever, they can nurse back there in privacy if they want, whatever, but... Anyways, they had this, right? And so I thought, hey, this will be cool. I'm going to invite my parents and her parents to come and watch us get engaged. And they can be in the cry room. We won't even know that they're there. And they can see it happening. And then I said, once she says yes, you have to leave, though. And, like, let us just be, you know, a little dance and, and uh you know have some time to ourselves, But so they were, they were cool with that. So they're in the cry, but they, they have never, my parents and her parents have never met each other. So this was the first moment and they're about to see their son or daughter get engaged. And, and so I came up with this elaborate lie of how to get Krista to go into the auditorium with me that Friday night. I just said, I had something I'm supposed to drop off uh, for Sunday morning. I forgot to do it. Can we come with me? We'd already done like a nice dinner and I was like, I just got to swing by here real quick to drop this stuff off And then we'll go on to the second half of our date. And she's like, okay, that's cool. So we go into the auditorium and she sees the lights are on just right. And you see the stage is all decorated and she she sees it and she just thinks someone's going to get someone's going to get engaged here tonight someone's going to get proposed to but she for whatever reason and i don't know why but she believes me when i tell her we're just dropping something off and so i don't know why she ever believes me this is really bad. like but she she believes that and so she's like no like Jake, we can't go in there. Like, you just drop it off on Saturday. So we don't want to mess up. And what if they come in whenever, the, like, we're in here. We'll just mess up the whole thing. And and we're, like, in the back. It's a big auditorium. So we're near the back, long way to walk up. And so I'm like, Krista, no, it's okay. It's okay. Just come with me. We'll just drop it off real quick. And she's, like, pulling back at me. And I've got her arm. And I'm trying to, like, pull her forward. And then the whole time, her parents or my parents are seeing this. And her parents have never met my parents. They're saying, I'm so sorry. She really him. She really does. I don't know why she's not going up there because she's like really pulling against me. And I'm really, and I'm like, babe, this is for you. Like we're the ones getting engaged. And then that's where it really backfires. It's like, she's like, sure we are. Jake, that's just mean. This is super, this is the meanest thing you've ever done. It's like, no, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. I'm about to propose to you. I have to actually pull out the ring. Like we're walking down there and I'm pull out the ring. Like, look, can you go sit in the chair? <laughs> I thought for a minute she was going to say no. <laughs> she said yes. We got engaged. Life was changed. Guys, tell the story because yeah, you know, it's good to laugh. But and you can laugh at my expense because I'm an idiot. But the, this series we're going to talk about the number one life changing thing that happened that can happen to you or has happened to you, depending if you believe this or not. And that is the, the life changing effect of the gospel. But here's the thing for most Christians the gospel doesn't seem to have this really big punch when it comes to changing our lives here and now. That most of us when we think about the gospel we think that this has changed our afterlife like where we will spend our afterlife but we think very little about how the gospel can change our current life. And for non-Christians if you're here exploring you don't believe this yet like perhaps because of Christianity's and Christians' lack of understanding of how the gospel can change our whole life, you probably are left with an understanding that yeah, the gospel is only about what happens next, and I'm not even sure there is anything that's next, and so why would I even believe this now? In fact, when I look at Christians now and see how the gospel or what they believe it changes their lives, I think that maybe it changes it for the worse. Christianity has a bad reputation in a lot of different ways. Like, is the Christian faith even good for us now? And that's a legitimate question. ...that we guys need to lean into and ask. And that's what we're going to do during this series. What, what good is the gospel? And how does it change our lives? Not just where we'll spend our afterlife, but where, how does it change our life currently? Tim Keller, a pastor I really look up to and uh, learned a lot from, pastor in New York, he says it this way. He says, belief in the gospel is not just the way to enter the kingdom of God. It is the way to address every obstacle... And grow in every aspect. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel is the way that anything is renewed and transformed by Christ, whether a heart, a relationship, a church, or a community. That all of our problems come from a lack of orientation to the gospel which is a very big statement, right? And it might sound pretty philosophical, but my hope is that in this series, over the next six weeks, we're going to see exactly why he would say that, that how the power of God really is captured in the gospel, really is life-changing. And that when we will reorient our lives around the, 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 the nature of the gospel, it will have this profound impact, not just for where we spend eternity, but how we live right now. So that's where we're going in this series, and I want us to begin, I guess what would make a lot of sense to begin, is by defining a, a key term here, and that is, what, what do we mean when we say gospel? Like, what, what is the gospel? Uh, outline, I'm just saying, you know, what's the life-changing message of the gospel? And to begin answering that question, I want you to turn to the book of Romans, and we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 as our kind of key verses this morning. We're going to be all over the place, but that's kind of our anchor passage. And, uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. We'll just follow along on these slides up here. But let me read this for you because in Romans 1, Paul is really, he's writing this, this letter to the church in, in Rome. And he, it's basically an entire treatise on the gospel, what it is. What happens when you believe it? How it should change your life? But he begins it in chapter 1. He begins with this really succinct statement, of this definition of the gospel. And that's what I want us to look at. So verse 16, this is what he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now let me pause right there. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's worth noting that in the Greek, the, the word gospel is you euangelon, which I'm probably not saying right because... I don't speak Greek very well, but the word angel is, is, or the phrase angel is in the word, and that's like where we get our word angel, you know? And when we think angel, we think wings and we think, you know, fat and, and clouds and all of that kind of stuff usually. But really, angel is, means herald, herald. And now this is an, it really interesting is that, because in the, in the gospel really literally means good news. Like a herald, someone who brings news, and back before there was the 24-hour news cycle and the internet and Facebook, the way that they would get news is that they would send heralds from one city to another city to announce, like if there was a, a victory or to announce if there's a new Caesar, a new emperor, or whatever, that's how the news would spread. They would come and they would announce what, something that has happened, and everyone needs to hear this, right? It's news. And this, in the case of the gospel, is good news. And guys, right away, we see that this sets a, this sets Christianity apart, From all other religions, in this sense, that all other major religions, that they are founded on good advice. And a lot of their advice is really good. How to live, like moral code, like great, great, great stuff. But it comes down to, here's good advice on what to do and what not to do. But Christianity, the foundation, the Christian faith, is really founded on an announcement of something that's already been done. It's news. It's already taken place. It's it's the announcement of what's been done for you. Not what you need to do for God, but what God himself has done for you. This is the announcement of good news. It's news. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this news, this great news. He says, "For, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, just draw out a couple other things real quick here. That when he says the gospel is the power of God for salvation, he's saying something about the very nature of the gospel. And this is a profound statement that this statement is really unique in that he's saying that the very power of God, who's, you know, the creator of all, the very power of God is captured in the gospel. It is the very power of God. It, it, later we'll see what a big deal that is and why that can cause us to believe it and let it have life-changing effects in all of us. So it's the very power of God for salvation. Now, he goes on I'm trying to figure out what I want to go to next, but let me say this. So he goes on and says, "Okay, how you believe this" Or here's how it has an impact on your life. It's it's through faith. Through faith, it's by faith. The righteous should live by faith. And here's what he's saying. That we receive this salvation through faith, begins by faith, and it, it ends in faith. And everything in between is faith. All right? So here's what we need to do in response to this good news. We don't need to do a lot of stuff. We just need to believe that it's true. Just like when someone comes and declares good news to a city, hey, there's a new emperor, or we just had a big victory. People just, what do they do? They, they can either believe it or not believe it, but the response is to either believe or not. It's not to do anything. It's the same thing Paul's saying here, here's our response. There's this righteousness from God that we are told through the gospel what God's like and even how we can inherit his righteousness. And our response to this good news is, do you believe it or do you not believe it? And then not only is it that that's our response initially, but that should be our continued response. It's not, do you believe it? And then now you've heard this and now you're going to try to do a lot of good stuff to be right with God now on your own. It's, do you believe this? Will you continue to believe this? And will you believe it all the way to the end? It's for faith, by faith, righteous shall live by faith. It's all about faith. This is our response through the entire Christian life, which we oftentimes, guys, get messed up on. And we think, man, I believe this initially, and then the rest of my Christian life is me trying to do a bunch of good stuff to please God. And Paul's saying, no, no, the power of God, for salvation, the gospel is received by faith and it just is all about faith all the way through. That's our response. When we believe, then we're saved. It's the power of God for salvation. But good question to ask is saved from what? Like, it's a, if it's the very power of God for us to have salvation, then that seems like a really big deal. But what are we being saved from? Perhaps we've heard people say, or you've said yourself, like, hey, when I was, you know, when I was eight, I, I was saved. Or uh, last, last year, I was saved. And he's like, okay. From what? You know, like, What do you mean you, you're saved? And here's, guys, here's what's really awesome. And what I want to spend most of our time on this morning is that, The answer to the question, what are we saved from, is really, there's really three answers to that question. That the power of God for salvation is is enormous. And that is that it has this past effect, it has this current effect, and it has a a future effect. That in a sense you can say that the power of God is seen in that it has changed us, it is changing us, and it it will one day completely change us. That that we are being saved from something, or we have been saved from something. We are being saved from something, and one day we will be completely saved altogether. So I want us to kind of press down on that a little bit. Like, what is the power of God for salvation? Save us from what? And just initially begin with this idea that we, this past, that we've been, we have been saved. But what have we been saved from? Well, Romans 18, the very next verse from the ones we looked at earlier, Paul begins to get into what we're being saved from. And here's what he says, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He goes on to say that the reason why the wrath of God has been revealed is because we have uh, rebelled against God, that we have Uh, uh, believed a lie about God, that we've forsaken the truth about God and exchanged it for a lie, that we have uh, begun to um, worship the created things instead of the creator. And in all of that, he said that as a result of that, that ungodliness, that unrighteousness, worshiping anything other than the one who really deserves our worship, God's wrath is revealed. It's revealed against us. And like. This is the bad news, right? No no one likes hearing this, and believe me, I don't like talking about this, except for one reason. Because for us to really grasp how good the news of the gospel is, we have to understand how bad we needed the news. Again, good news is not good news unless you recognize that you needed, like, it's better news than what you already had, right? Well, guys, here's the news that we have. The wrath of God has been revealed against us. The wrath of God is coming against us, those that are ungodly and unrighteous, which includes all of mankind. And What we deserve is that we deserve God's judgment, God's condemnation. We we deserve to pay for the penalty of our sin, which we're told in Scripture, that the wages of sin is death, that we deserve death. We deserve separation from God. This is terrible news. But it's true, and it's true of each one of us. And it's worth just noting for yourself, like right now, to say, like, this is my state, apart from Christ, deserve the wrath of God, and I'm going to receive it. It's heavy, and it's hard, but that's the clear teaching of Scripture, clear teaching of Jesus. So, okay, well, what do, I, what do I do with that? Right? Well, the good news is that God is not just holy and just and giving us what we deserve, but He's loving and merciful and gives us what we absolutely do not deserve. In fact, I love Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. This is what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead, meaning without hope and without ability to like pay for your own sin, completely dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, and then the greatest contrast in all of the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace, that you have been saved. And friends, This is what makes the gospel such good news. That apart from understanding how bad we, how badly we needed God's grace, apart from understanding where we stood, that we were under the wrath of God, that we were children of wrath, when you hear that God loves you, you just get this feeling like, oh man, God's really nice. Because God is more than just really nice. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is abounding in love towards us even when we do not deserve it. This is incredible, incredible, incredible. And what happens as a result of God's incredible grace and love for us even when we do not deserve it is that we can have this salvation saved specifically From the penalty of our sin. that This is the past action of the gospel. When the gospel is, is the power of God for salvation, well, the past action of that is that we are saved from the penalty of sin. That we, through what Christ has done for us, are not going to receive what we should receive. If the wages of sin is death, then we should receive death and separation from God. But the good news in Christ is that there's life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That we receive life instead of the death we deserve. That we receive grace instead of condemnation. Mercy instead of wrath. That is, Paul says in the book of Ephesians that we are actually now adopted into the family of God. Sons and daughters of the king instead of children of wrath. Why? Because Jesus himself, God the Son, became man, went to the earth, lived a perfect life, the life that we were supposed to live, and then willingly went to the cross and died the death that we deserve to die. And he said, put their blame on me. And he said to the Father, forgive them. If they don't know what they do. Instead, accuse me. Make me pay. I choose to pay for their sins. And because Christ would die for us and then rise again, what Christ has done, what Jesus has done, is that he's paid fully for all of our sins, past, present, future. And because of what Christ would do for us, we can be set free from having to pay the penalty of our sin. We've been saved from paying the penalty of our sin. Now, many of y'all, you're like, yeah, I know this. <laughs> I've been a Christian for like so long. I've heard this. You talk about this almost every week. Yeah, we, we know this. But here, here's, the, here's my question for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And really, this is a question for everyone, Christian or non-Christian. Because here's the thing. If, you, if you're not a believer, then I would ask that you, that you would believe this. Because here's, here's, the other, here's what happens when you don't believe this. As far as like our current reality right now, how this would change your life right now if you were to believe this, here's what happens. That right now, when you mess up, you feel guilty, right? And when you sin, when you hurt someone, when you don't love someone like you know you should, you, you feel bad about that. What do you do with that? Our tendency, if you're, if you're like me, your tendency is to either beat yourself up for that or hide from them because of how you've messed up or... To blame someone for that. Well, none of us like those responses, right? But what are you left to do when you know you've messed up and you've hurt someone? Someone's got to pay for it. You've got to pay for it. Or the relationship's just got to remain broken. So you're going to hide from that relationship. Or you're going to blame someone else for it. That's just kind of how we function, right? Here's another thing that happens. If if you, you, we all carry with us this sense of, I don't measure up. That we all recognize, and I would say because of sin, we know that there's something in us that just isn't complete, that we're not as good as we wish we were. And so what do we do? We, we look to other things to justify us. That we look to our education or our career or whether we're a good parent or we're a good wife or we're a good husband or whatever it is. We latch on to something. And we say, man, if I could just excel in this area, then this will justify me in the eyes of others. And they will know that I matter and that I measure up. And yet, how often those things we latch onto fail to ever give us the, the approval that we are looking for and how often those things that we latch onto. Uh, fail us completely or we fail them because we because they weren't designed to justify us but friends if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins then you have a justifier and Jesus on the cross here's what he said he said if you want someone to blame for your sin blame me I want to take the blame And he says, here, through my death and my resurrection, you don't need to hide anymore because I've come to seek you out and to save you. And here, I'm going to hide you in my righteousness. See, for your sake, I've become sin, the one who knew no sin. Jesus said, I became sin so that you could become the very righteousness of Christ, that we would be hidden in his righteousness. like, how incredible news is that? So you don't have to beat yourself up when you sin. Why? Because Jesus was beaten enough sufficiently for your sin. For Christians in here, the issue is, have you, have you, the question is, have you believed this, that Jesus has saved you from the penalty of sin? My question for you is, are you believing this? It's, it's from faith, for faith, we live by faith. And oftentimes as Christians, we, we still move from, yes, Jesus paid for my sin, but then we, we transition into when we sin now, it's like, yeah, I know Jesus paid for that, but I too need to pay for this. And we forget to believe, or we fail to believe, to live by faith in the fact that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. And so I ask you right now, believers, are you currently believing this? When you sin... Do you beat yourself up? Do you try to atone for your own sin? Do you try to show God how sorry you are and how acceptable you are and make yourself acceptable to Him by beating yourself up day after day, riddled by your guilt? Is that your normal response to your sin? If so, then my call to you, my question to you, my challenge to you is believe this truth that you've been saved from the penalty of your sin. Jesus was beaten. Sufficiently for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. There's been a sufficient payment paid. Jesus' announcement from the cross was to tell us die. It is finished. It's paid in full. Do you believe that? If you do, then you won't beat yourself up. If you do, you won't hide. You won't hide from God. You won't hide from others. You'll know that you're hidden in Christ's righteousness. I, I think about my son, Camp. and like I love this boy so much, but when he, when he sins... <laughs> When he messes up, when he doesn't obey or he hits his brother or tells a lie or whatever, his response is that he just runs and hides. Like literally, like he'll just... Get up and just run into it and run into the room, and he'll say, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and he just runs into his room, and then he like pulls a blanket over his head or pulls his shirt over his head, and like I don't know like, where he gets this from, except that he just feels this sense like when he messes up, he's got to hide, and so I had Krista or I like we have to come after him and we say, "Son, like why do you hide? Why are you hiding?" He says, "I I hide because I messed up." He says, "Why why does that make you hide?" you think that when we see you we just we just look at you and think you're just so messed up he says uh-huh you think when we look at you we we see someone who just is messing up all the time uh-huh says, son, you need to know like when i look at you even hide after you've messed up you know what i see i see my son who i dearly love you don't need to hide and more importantly Camp, you need to understand. Camp put his faith in Christ back in November. Like, he's like, son, when God the Father, when your true Father, your Heavenly Father sees you, even right after you've messed up, you need to know that he doesn't see someone who's just a failure mess up. He sees his son, whom he dearly loves. First, he sees Jesus Christ, God the Son, who laid down his life for you, that you would, be through faith in him, that you've believed in him, can't. You're hidden in Christ's righteousness. So when God sees you, he sees his son, and then he sees you, his beloved son. And you're forgiven. So you don't have to hide. And friends, you're forgiven. If you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to hide. And if you're going to blame anyone, you get to blame Jesus. Jesus said, I want to take your blame. You don't need to look to anything else to justify you. You've got a justifier in Jesus. This can change your life. Life, do you see how this changes your life? You don't have to be riddled with guilt. You don't have to be putting off blame to others. You don't have to hide. You don't have to fear. You you just get to run to Jesus every single time, even right after you sin. You can say, Father, thank you for having Christ die for that, what I just did. And know that you're completely accepted because of what Christ did. You don't have to sit in your guilt, wallow in it, Or beat yourself up? Friends, do you know that you're saved from the penalty of your sin? Are you believing that? This is incredible good news of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Save you from the penalty of sin. But that's just one aspect of it. The other aspect is this. Is that we're also saved currently. Being saved from the power of sin that we're being saved from the power of sin. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And you read that, and perhaps you think, okay, what does that mean? Like, I thought if I put my faith in Christ, I am saved. And that is true. You're saved from the penalty of sin. But Paul's saying there's this current reality. There's this, this ongoing reality where through the what God has done for us in Christ, we are also being saved. Well, what are we being saved from? Well, Paul puts it this way in verse 6, he says, I mean, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him, talking about Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, that we as, uh, are being saved, Paul would say, from the power of sin's mastery over us. That because of what Christ did on the cross, he crucified our old self. This is kind of Paul terminology to say like the, the sinful self, that thing in us that is, causes us to do stuff that we just don't want to do, that we keeps us from loving people the way we wish we loved people and keep us from being the type of person that we wish we were that kind of that self, that old self that works against us. That, that was crucified with Christ on the cross. And the result of, the, of that... Is that we now have the power to say no to it. It's not that it's gone. It isn't gone yet. But it's no longer enslaving us. It's no longer our master. That we have this freedom. We've been saved from the power of sin. Paul puts it uh, uh, this way. Philippians 2, 13, 14. He says, hey, work out your own salvation. Again, this salvation. This ongoing salvation. This current tense present tense salvation he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure like i love this promise and 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 yet it carries with it this really hard aspect because he's saying okay work out your salvation how do you work out your salvation well paul said it's all by faith you know for faith by faith live by faith that whole deal so it's we work it out by faith with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Because this is hard to believe, friends. And when you're trying to look at something to have faith that it's true when it doesn't feel like it's true, then there's fear and there's trembling. Is there not? But here's what we need to believe, that God is actually at work in our lives, causing us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Put another way, God's at work in our lives because of the salvation brought to us by Jesus, that he is at work in our lives, causing us to want to obey him. And causing us to obey him. That he's made it to where we want to and he's enabled us to. And yet sometimes we're like, well, that just doesn't feel true. And Paul said, hey, work it out. Work it out by faith. Work out your salvation. This is truth. That God is right now freeing you. He's bringing the power to free you from the power of sin, he, God's power, the power of salvation is to free you from the current power of sin in your life. You got to believe that. Work it out. Say, well, I don't know. It doesn't feel true. I, I respond a lot more with with this cartoon that my dad showed me years ago, and so it stuck with me. <laughs> Suddenly having an urge to juggle machetes, like I like that's that. I feel like is there, right? Like I've got this thing in me that causes me to do stuff that I, sh- like, you tell me what not to do and I want to do that. You tell me what to do, I want to do the opposite of that. Like I've, I'm in tune with that. What, where's, this, where's this like, okay God, you promise that you're at work in me to will and to work according to your good pleasure. Where's that? Well, we got to believe it by faith but here's how this is true. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8:11. He says, "If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you." For this is what Christ accomplished. One of the big things Christ accomplished on the cross is that because we've been saved from the penalty of sin, We have been made clean, holy and blameless. And as a result, God the Spirit and actually can come and dwell within us to where in 1 Corinthians 6, we talk that we're like, we're like, it's like the temple of God. Like we have God within us. That means that you are more sacred and the person next to you is more sacred than any sacred place that's ever been, you know, deemed sacred. Like you are sacred. You have the Spirit of God within you because you have the Spirit of God within you. That's the power. This is your new master. This is the one who's made it possible for you to say no to sins, to say no to ungodliness, and to work and to to desire and to work according to God's good pleasure. Our power there comes from God the Spirit living within us. And he's powerful, powerful enough to raise Christ from the dead. If he could raise Christ from the dead, and says defeating sin and death for all mankind, then for you personally, he can also be at work in your life to, to defeat sin and death Currently, right now, no matter what it is that's got a grip on you. I love how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3. He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. There's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, meaning that because we have complete access to God now, we don't need to be separated from God like in the Old Testament system. We've unveiled face. We have complete access to God because of what Christ did for us. Now all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, like the the image of God, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the promise, guys, and this promise is as secure for you as a promise. If you put your faith in Christ, you're going to be able to spend forever with him in heaven. We hold on to that. Guys, to the same degree, hold on to this promise. The Spirit of God is at work in you, changing you one degree to another to be more like Jesus. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You have the Spirit of God within you, changing you, freeing you from the power of sin to make you more like Jesus. Guys, do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you believe this, you will not have a defeatist attitude. You know what I mean? There would be no part of sin in your life that you would say, I'm just going to always be that way that 's just who I am. I can never have victory there there 's there's no, there's no reason for you to ever think, man i just I just don't even want i don 't even want to have victory there, even though you may feel like that statement is true, the promise of the gospel, the power of God for salvation is that you have His spirit living within you, and he wants For you to obey him, to live according to his good pleasure. There's a part of you that wants to obey and you have the ability to obey. So you can have victory over sin. Here's what this looks like. If you believe this, here's what will happen. You won't say, I can't. And you won't say, I can if I try hard enough. But you will say, I can by his power. And the, the way that fleshes is out is that you will seek to abide with Christ. You'll, set, you'll seek to stay in step with the Spirit. Because it's God's power within you that enables you to say no to sin and yes to godliness. And guys, this does not, look, it does not only look like put, spending regular time in God's word, being with God each day. But it's certainly no less than that. But you would spend time with God, be with God to stay in step with spirit. But then all day long staying in step. That's a helpful picture because it's step by step. You would rely on God's spirit within you to give you the power to say no to sin and yes to godliness. And you have the power to do so. Stay in step with the spirit. Friends, do you, do you believe this or have you just chalked up There's part of my life that I just will never be able to fully obey God in? That is not true. Because of the power of God for salvation includes the power of God saving you right now from the old power of sin. Last thing, that there's also a future aspect to our salvation, that we will be saved from the presence of sin. That we will be saved from the presence of sin. And just quickly, there's so much to be said here, but out of time. So let me just read this verse. 1 Peter 1, three through 3-5 says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I Praise Him. Praise our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, past, you know, saved from the penalty of sin, and to a living hope, currently, right now, being saved from the power of sin through the resur- resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, this future aspect of our salvation, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be reserved in the last time to be revealed in the last time uh, peter is talking to a group of believers here in this passage that have under undergone uh, incredible persecution hard times trials and he's saying here's what you need to remember friends here's what you need to believe that Jesus not only has paid for your, paid for your, the penalty for sin, He's freeing you from the power of sin, but you are secured your promise, a future inheritance that's unfading, that can't be taken away that you know that the greatest thing that you've ever been given is a relationship with Jesus your salvation and guys that's a salvation Peter's saying that can never be taken from you you're completely secure it's 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 hidden in heaven with with God right now you can't do anything to lose it no one can do anything to cause you to lose it so you can live all out for God now knowing that you have this promise of this future inheritance, this future salvation. And what are we being saved from at that point? Guys, we're being saved from the presence of sin. We're saved from the presence of sin. The sin will be gone. <laughs> and we will be instead in the presence of our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an incredible promise. Paul, Peter uses this to encourage the believers to press on even if they're being persecuted. That this promise can cause us to risk. This promise can cause us to not seek to just preserve our own life. Not just our physical life, but the the aspects of our life, our reputation, our money, our material possessions, all these things, that we know that we have this promise that will never be taken from us and so we can live all out for the glory of God right now knowing that the thing that matters most will never be taken from us. And so I can live for Jesus' name now. And Jesus says, okay, you, whoever wants to save your life is going to lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will save it. So let us, let us live all out. If you believe this, then you, you'll live for the glory of God, even if it comes at sacrifice. And with persecution. If you don't believe this. Then you're going to try to preserve your own life. And your own stuff. And your own reputation. Because you think you've got to. Because it's on you to preserve it. But it's not friends. It's not. Because of the gospel. The power of God for salvation. My question is. is do we believe this? You have been saved. You are being saved. And you will one day be completely saved saved which one of these areas do you fail to believe the most are you riddled with guilt do you feel like you can never win you feel like you can never have victory in sin do do you are you always out trying to preserve your own life instead of living all out for god which area here do you have the hardest time with believing my challenge for you this week is to reflect on the three aspects of our salvation in christ the power of god for our salvation And to call yourself to remember why we can believe that we've been saved from these things. Penalty, the power, and the presence. And ask God to give you faith to believe that. It will change your life. It will change your life. This morning we're going to end our time by taking communion and The band's going to come up here and and, uh, lead us in a time of response. And as you feel led, I want to invite you to come up and uh, take communion. And it's a fitting way to end this message because, guys, when we take communion, what we're remembering is is the very sacrifice that enabled us to be saved. We're remembering Jesus' death, his body broken for us, his blood spilled for us, so that we could... Be saved from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and ultimately from the presence of sin. And so, as you uh, take the take the bread and and take the cup, I ask that you don't just do this out of ritual, but if you believe this, you actually use this bread and this cup as a way to re- to remind you of the truth of what we're talking about here. You have been saved, and as you take the bread. You remember Christ's body broken for you? I'd ask that you would think about an area that we've talked about this morning and say, God, I believe that. I believe that you died, and because you died, I've been freed from the penalty of my sin. Or I believe that I'm being saved from the power of sin. Whatever it is, and you would take this in belief and the cup as a reminder that we're in a new covenant. This is good news. Of what Christ, because of his blood, has been spilled for us, we have a new relation with God based not on what we do for him, not based on if we follow good advice and good teaching, but followed but based on what Christ has done for us. His death on our behalf. Let us remember the gospel this morning. May pray, and then we can worship and take communion. Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our salvation, that the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel and that we get to see what an incredible God you are, holy and just and righteous and merciful and loving and gracious. God, I pray that you help us believe that. And believe all aspects of the gospel that you may change our life, not just our, where we spend eternity, but right now. God, help us believe. You're so good, Jesus. Thank you for your death on our behalf. We'll remember that now through communion. In Jesus' name we pray.